Hello, listeners. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remember Leah Freeberg. She was invited to be on to today's episode, but sadly passed away prior to recording. Leah was a major influencer and supporter of the maintenance and reliability industry. She took the content created by many of us in this industry and supported us in our journeys and brought that content to many of you. I know I speak for everyone at Maintenance Disrupted when I say our friend and colleague Leah will be missed. We will strive to continue to bring meaningful content to the maintenance and reliability industry, content that she would have been proud to support. Our condolences go out to Leah's family, friends, and colleagues. Your loss is immeasurable, and if we can support you in any way, please do not hesitate to reach out. In today's episode, we talk to three great guests, Carl Kaufman, Mike Pearson, and Allison Hawley, and we discuss finding a job in maintenance and reliability. We cover some great tips from interview skills to job search skills and some of the common mistakes and things we see throughout, and also what it means to actually be looking for a job and the fact that you're also interviewing the company, they're not just interviewing you. Before we jump into today's episode, we've got a quick message from our sponsor. Hey listeners, Blair Fraser here, one of your co-hosts of Maintenance Disrupted. We are very excited to announce another sponsor to our podcast. We welcome NanoPrecise, prediction with precision. You've likely heard them on the podcast before, and we are very excited to have them as a sponsor. NanoPrecise Solutions strives to create 360-degree integrated systems that can predict the lifespan of any asset and empower you with the right data across your industry. They implement cutting-edge technology to bring their clients accurate prognostic and diagnostic solutions that can predict the remaining viable usability of any asset at any point during its lifespan with up to 99% accuracy. Each week, we're going to bring you a short snippet called Machine Doctor to the Rescue. NanoPrecise was recently able to detect a bearing failure one month in advance of a critical cooling fan in the chemical industry. Find out more about how this allowed the user to avoid 36 hours of downtime by getting in touch with NanoPrecise at nanoprecise.io. That's N-A-N-O-P-R-C-I-S-E dot I-O. And now on to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. I'm your host, Steve Dovey, and this week we've got a special episode about finding a job in maintenance and reliability. I'll just get our guests to introduce themselves before we dive too far in. So, uh, Carl, why don't you go first? Thanks, Steve. Um, so, yeah, my name's Carl Kaufman. I'm one of the founders of KPO Search and Staffing Partners. Um, we're a, we're a, a search and staffing firm focused on uh, mining, renewables, and decarbonisation industries. My my background: I've been in in staffing since two thousand and four. Grew up in Perth, Western Australia, in the mining industry, and and started my career recruiting uh, maintenance tradespeople for for predominantly the iron ore industry, but also various other commodities uh, out of Western Australia. Came to Canada six and a half years ago, um, focused on on both the oil sands and uh, the mining industry across North America, and and 
as I say, recently launched our own search and staffing firm, uh, providing a, a variety of people, but, but a heavy maintenance focus across mining, renewable energy, decarbonisation, and, and sort of the, the intersection of those three industries um, in North America and globally. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Carl. Uh, how about you, Mike? Uh, well, thanks for having us, Stephen, there first. But uh, my name's Mike Pearson. Um, I'm, you know, as Carl mentioned, a partner there with uh, KPO. He's done a good job just kind of describing who we are, what we do. But for myself, uh, I started uh, recruiting in 2012. And uh, just like Carl started on the trade side, recruiting uh, right across the mining industry, the forestry sector. Uh, and I just continue that all the way through. So right now doing a lot of work uh, within mining, forestry, pulp manufacturing, food manufacturing, manufacturing, uh, a lot of renewables in there as well. And uh, reliability, maintenance, your supervisors, your engineers and maintenance uh, uh leaders essentially so i've uh, been doing this uh, as i mentioned for almost 10 years and uh looking forward to kind of giving some knowledge there as well yeah that's great mike and last but not least uh allison you've been on the show a few times now yeah happy to be back yeah so i'm allison holly i've been in and out of the maintenance reliability space for the last 10 years now, uh, all within the mining industry and most recently, I've been, I'm currently the lead for Tech Maintenance's Asset Health Program, specifically for mobile assets. Oh, that's great. So, and one of the reasons specifically, because I work with Allison, I brought you on, is because you have recently hired a ton of people, both engineers and technicians. And so I, I thought that would be a great breadth of recent knowledge and experience to, to bring to the audience. So I really appreciate you guys having having all of you on i think this is going to be a, a great episode and just as a special note as well we are planning on doing a q a session after this is released so watch your calendars and tune into that and if you have any questions send them our way for any of our guests um so just to dive in finally after i've said that four times um i'm going to start with allison so you've recently like i said interviewed a lot of people what would you say has been one of the biggest challenges or, or one of the, the deciding factors that made you, and obviously we don't want you to give anything away about anybody in particular, but what has been one of those things that have made a great candidate, not a great candidate? It usually comes down to attitude. So if I, if you can tell that someone hasn't spent the time to understand what your company does, what the industry is, really much about the position you know they didn't prep any questions i can tell they're not invested in this role and if they're not even invested in the interview don't have much hope that they're going to be invested in the position so that's that's usually my number one red flag yeah it, it interesting interesting to say that because because that is probably one of the biggest areas that most people fail in an interview is because they didn't properly prepare you know, they haven't haven't done the research on the company or the person that's interviewing them or or or, or even the position that, that they've applied for. And um sometimes sometimes that I, I think as well that there's there's an element of when when particularly um 
people that are quite technically competent in their role and, and technically proficient, there, there's a bit of a reliance on their technical ability, not so much their communication skills and, and ability to relate to the person that's interviewing them. Um, and and that that's probably the, the biggest area where good people absolutely ruin an interview because they haven't done that preparation because they're just relying on their skill set um, to get them through it as opposed to, to being able to actually relate and communicate properly with with whoever's interviewing them. And I think just to elaborate on that one a little bit as well, like, you know, we, you know, for us, we do uh, interview coaching here on that side. And, you know, every anytime I'm coaching someone to say this is, you know, how you should be preparing for an interview, I say there's there's two things to kind of get you through an interview. Um, it's, you know, confidence in your abilities, but it's also enthusiasm for the opportunity. So, you know, you're showing that you're invested, you're showing that you're interested, you've done your research, you've done your homework, you've you know, come prepared with questions. And, uh, you know, if you're engaged in the conversation and showing that you're really wanting to be there, I think from a hiring manager's perspective, that will really uh, rub off on the right way. Yeah, for sure. That was some of the best advice I got to early in my career. I was fresh out of school looking for a job and I had a couple interviews and nothing was really going too well. And uh, I finally started actually dealing with the recruiter and he was like, he's like, you clearly know what you're talking about. But when you talk to you, you don't actually come across that way. You you don't seem like you're enthusiastic, engaged. And, and it's like, uh, I had no idea about that myself. And so I think um, and, and I love the interview coaching because you it's hard to look critically at yourself. And even through this podcast, like I listen to these podcasts and I just sit there and I cringe at some of the things I say. And I'm just, but you don't know those things. You can't improve those things unless you practice. And I, I think to your point there, Allison, the preparation piece is if you have an interview coming up, like you should be practicing with, you know, your friends, your colleagues, if it's whoever you can, maybe colleagues isn't the best choice though, always, but, uh, um, yeah, so uh, preparation, um, uh, I like that answer. Um, how about you, Carl? Is there a particular red flag that you've seen derail somebody's chances that went, they went from a star candidate to it, it was just over in, in one quick, <laughs> one quick, uh, sentence or something? Um, I, I, I guess the, the other side, of, and it's probably the other side of this coin is, is over familiarity when they're going through the interview process, not not actually treating it as a formal process, um, either becoming too uh, too comfortable or, or too familiar, um, you know, not addressing the questions and not answering the questions. You know, sometimes people will come in and and it's important to to for people to feel comfortable in an interview and get them to open up and, and um, so you can understand more about the person. But, but often they, they will continue off on, on their own tangent or they have their own uh, thing that they want to say, which doesn't answer the, the person's, the, the interviewer's questions. Um, and, you know, it, it just shows that they're not listening. It shows that they're, again, and it's like the preparation thing, also, it's a bit of um, not respecting the process. Um, 
which which also comes back to practice as well. You know what you're saying? Just practice with your, your friends or your family. Um, yeah. Well, and it's such a fine line too between having, like, being confident in your abilities and selling yourself to being overconfident and arrogant. Um, yeah. And it's and and I don't know. I've found that it's different depending on the interviewers as well. Like it's 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 not. And for technical people, like like most engineers, it's not something you can calculate out. Like you can practice as much as you want, but sometimes you're just going to get into a room with somebody that's you're not a good fit with, and yeah. the conversation just isn't going to go right. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. How about you, Mike? Any any thoughts on uh, the biggest biggest problems in this Ooh. interview? Ooh. Um. I, I guess another thing too is like when you are in an interview, um, kind of, you're essentially like trying to show enthusiasm for this opportunity that's, you know, before you, you really want to, you know, get in there and get it, um, and obviously land the job. But I think one of the biggest things on that side too is never talk negative about your previous employer. Um, I think that's a, that's a big one there as well, you know, kind of coming in because if you're going to, you know, portray yourself in a positive light you don't want to be talking negatively about your previous employer because your hiring manager could say oh wow geez what are they going to find here and then you know are they just going to be a negative attitude you know within the team environment here at the same time so uh you always got to look at the positives you know coming from your previous employer even if you know it wasn't the the best environment for yourself but you always got to look at the positives and bring that you know into the interview as well Definitely agree. You know, if you're somebody, let, let's say uh, uh, we have a reliability engineer. He's has a few years experience. He, he's deciding to look for a new job. So he, he sees a lot of job opportunities out there, but he keeps hearing that there's a shortage on, on labor, but he can't seem to get past those HR steps. Um, so what, you know, what is the, what is going on there? Why can't like there's a shortage on technicians, there's a shortage on engineers, but to actually find a job and get to an interview stage is really hard to get to. What is going on there? Do any of you guys have any thoughts on how we can do that better? Um, just from my perspective there, I, I mean, you know, the the whole interview process all starts, of course, you know, with uh, a resume and, and all of that. So, I, you know, even open up to Allison, like how, how many... How many resumes did you have to go through to literally fill one position there at the same time? I don't even see them all. Most of them do get to the get filtered out through the HR. Yeah. But even by the time they land on my desk, I'm still only spending 20 seconds per resume before I decide if they're getting a phone screen. It's a lot. Yeah. We're still getting yeah. a lot of resumes. Yeah. So you know, even from my perspective here too, um, you know, as as a recruiter in the industry. I, I, I do believe that there is a can, it's a candidate short market. Um, but if you're just spending 20 seconds, you know, per resume, it's really hard because your whole career is literally on paper and it, it's, it's hard to kind of get all of that in there. So you have to do something and make sure, you know, on that resume, you are standing out, uh, from, from your peers, from your competitors, you know, to land this position. So, um, what are you doing on that resume to make sure that you're standing out? And I feel it's, uh, you know, you're highlighting a lot of your skill sets that you are doing on an annual basis. You're making sure that you, 
if you're applying for a certain position, you can't just have one resume and blanket that out across every single position out there. You have to tailor each resume to each position that you're applying to. You know, you, you look for what they're, 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 uh, what the employer is looking for and you highlight your skill sets on that first page to highlight what they're looking for. So it's, it's tough. You know, um, I always hear the, the two page rule, you know, keep your resume to two pages, but I'll be honest, I believe in, you know, for a highly technical position such as engineers, uh, I would go up to four, you know, try and keep it to a four page minimum, maybe five, depending on how long your career has been going there at the same time. But that first page is the most important. And that's where you have to highlight your, your skill sets and make sure that it's matching what the employer is looking for. Yeah. And, and the other, the other thing with that as well is, is, um, and it's the research thing. Look at, look at how that company is accepting their applications. If they're looking for people to apply online through a portal that's looking at, at, um, you know, you, you upload your resume, you enter your skill sets into a, into a, a portal or a digital platform. Um, look at, the job description, what are the key attributes needed in there, make sure you're putting that information in in what you're uploading, whether it's it's the free text fields that you've got to fill out or selecting the your position experience and those sorts of things because, you know, there's a lot of digital systems used now in this sta- the early stage of the recruitment process and you've got to make sure that you're, you're hitting those keywords so that the the screening bots don't screen you out um, before anyone even gets to see that that first paragraph at the top of your resume that that explains why you're amazing for the job, and that's the other key thing, you know, address that selection criteria in the first two sentences of your resume because that 20 seconds that Alison is looking at the resume, she's reading that front line going, wow, this person can do the job, looking at where they've worked and, and the roles that they've had and said, yeah, I want to phone screen that person. Uh, that's that's how it works. Um, so it's really important that, that you make sure you understand how the, the application process is being run as well um, and and... Yeah, that preparation, the, the four or five P's pr- prior preparation prevents poor performance or how many P's that is, I don't know. Um, but, but that's kind of the, the thing that you need to do. Oh, Stephen, I'm going to ask a question if you don't mind. Oh, please do. <laughs> so it was only, you know, four or five years ago when I was, you know, earlier in my career, still actively looking for new work as an EIT. and some of those websites are cumbersome. Like it, it's half an hour, an hour to apply to a job sometimes. And when you're trying to apply to 20 jobs in a day, you know, maybe can you elaborate just how important that is? Because a, a lot of times, or, or I guess which pieces are and aren't important. As I know, I got frustrated during my job application and the jobs I didn't care about that much, I uploaded my resume and left everything else blank. I didn't get interviewed for those jobs. <laughs> yeah, but if you didn't care about them that much, what's the point of wasting your time as, as well? And um, those systems have improved significantly for the most part over the last five years. Um, 
but they still can be a bit cumbersome, absolutely. And But part of that is a screening tool in itself. If you don't care enough about the job you're applying for to spend the time to apply for the job properly, then why are you even wasting your time applying for the job? Like, what's the point if you're just uploading a resume Fingers crossed someone might see it or it might get through eventually to get onto the hiring manager's desk so that they can look at it and go, oh, yeah, I might give this person a call. Do you really want that job? Or are you just sticking your resume out there for for fun? Um, you know, and no one likes wasting their own time with, with those sorts of things. So um, perhaps the cumbersomeness of it has a, has a purpose as well. I do wonder though, because you know, on the same on the same line too is you know I'm pretty busy. Uh, if I was to start looking for a job, and I saw one that was I thought was interesting, and you know, you like to have the conversation about it, and this is maybe for people that are more into their career and are settled. It's you know, if it's going to take me an hour to apply for the job, and it's like it's it's probably not going to happen. So maybe I don't know when that that change happens or if that even is a relevant thing where, you know, it becomes more about the company seeking the person and less about the people seeking the company. Yeah, and, and this is true, you know, and it's actually changing in, in terms of the way people expect to find jobs as well. This is not just a, a people in their career progression um, you know, with a certain skill set, we are in a in a skills short or a candidate short market. Um, it's not just um confined to to the maintenance and engineering and reliability space. This is across industries where we're in a, a candidate short market. Um, and there's two things driving that. One is demands of, of industry, but also the other is how people want to go about finding a job. People actually now, particularly highly skilled people and people with training and experience, expect jobs to come to them. They don't expect to have to go out and find the jobs. Like we don't expect to even have to go out and pick up our takeaway anymore. That that comes to us, Skip, or, or whoever brings you your McDonald's or your, your favourite, something from your favourite restaurant. And... And so people are expecting to be approached about roles. Um, maybe it's because of the growth in, in our, Mike and my industry and the staffing industry and the fact that we spend a lot of time identifying people with the skill sets that, that the companies are looking for and proactively reach out to those people to talk about opportunities. Um, but also it's, it's that general societal change in, in how we live our lives. So people aren't going to want to apply. And maybe that's a, a, a lesson for companies to understand. If you're looking for the best people, they're actually probably not applying to your, to the job that you've got on your website. In, in fact, I, I would say they're definitely not applying to the job that you've got on the website because they're too busy doing their work for someone else, doing an amazing job. And like you, you've got to go out and approach that person. So it, it's... It's two sides of the coin, probably on on that, you know. And particularly as I say, Steve, for people that are further in their careers, they're quite happy, they're well looked after. But yeah, like they'd be open to a change, um, but they're not going to waste an hour uploading stuff into a portal for it to go into a black hole to be never contacted again. 
Exactly. And, you know, we, we advertise jobs for ourselves here at the same time, but we're, we're not expecting, um, you know, when we're helping our clients, we're not expecting to find anyone, you know, through that, our job posting. It's more so just advertising for ourselves. Uh, we're, we're definitely way more proactive, uh, with our searches and, and, you know, just like Carl was saying, we're approaching individuals about opportunities. We're not just waiting for them to come to us. So, um, just like you said, you know, people want to hear about opportunities and that's why we're out there and, and making people aware. So I think that brings up a good point because um, how do you get noticed by recruiters? So so we hear about those recruiters bringing people up and like I get contacted all the time by different recruiters and they all want it, it's 90% of the time it is for a lateral move. No recruiter is approaching you to give you that step up, like how, bringing you to the ne- that next spot in your career. How do you get noticed so that, you know, to bring That's, your, yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> that, that That is difficult, you know, to, um, to get noticed for that career advancement. That's probably one of the hardest things to do. You know, I mean, first off, you have to say, I'm willing to leave my employer for a career advancement. Second off, the employer, uh, they're always looking at succession planning. So if, um, you know, let's say you're an engineer and you're looking for that senior engineer opportunity, uh, an employer is posting for a senior engineer and, you know, they may look internally first off instead of externally. So first off, they're going to look at all the engineers that they have and say, you know, you guys can all apply and we're going to promote one of you. Um, but uh, if they feel that like no one's ready for it, then they'll turn externally. So it, it, it's always a fine line. Like it's, it's hard for employers to say, you know, we want to pull someone from outside for this opportunity because they also have to have a succession plan. And, uh, if they turn outside and bring that senior engineer in, then it's also a scenario where, you know, they, the, the in-house is like kind of like, well, you know, shit, you know, why didn't I get that job? And now they brought someone else in. You know, I was, I was really pumped on that one. And now, um, now it could be a scenario where you're going to look elsewhere because that senior engineer, you know, there's no succession plan for yourself. So it's always a fine line. There's a lot of, you know, juggling going on in the industry. But, you know, to your question there at the same time, how do you get noticed? Uh, well, it's always word of mouth is, is always huge. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always asking questions like, Hey, I'm, I'm looking for this type of individual. Like, what do you think? Do you know anyone? But again, you know, LinkedIn's a a big asset, big tool out there. Um, if you've got your page updated and, and, uh, you know, showing and highlighting your skill sets, then yeah, you know, you could get noticed and it's, it's literally just as easy as an email or a quick phone call email and all that for us to just kind of, reach out and, and connect with yourself and see if you're open to opportunities. And then from there, you know, I may, I may connect with yourself. I may have an opportunity for you on the spot. If it's not the right fit, I may call you like four months, eight months, 16 months down the road and give you another option at the same time. It's just having those, those contacts and staying in touch. That's, that's kind of how we kind of connect and go about it there too. And um if you, Another option there as well is conferences. You know, if, if you want to get noticed, you got to get out the door and, and uh, kind of start introducing yourself at the same time. Yeah, the, the network is a, a big thing. Um, networking in the area where where you want to be seen or, or want to be worked, 
want to be working. Um, yeah, having having your LinkedIn profile up to date and and decent information in there. Um, you know what what your job is, but what you actually do as well, or your area of responsibility. It's kind of similar to the twenty second on a resume thing. Um, if a recruiter particularly is is searching for a particular skill set. You know, we use the tools that we've got and, and one of those tools is a, is absolutely LinkedIn and, um, you know, it pulls up a search of 200 people that have got the right skill set according to, to the, the algorithms and, and then we're screening through these people and we're looking at them quick going, bang, that person hits the mark. And, and why do I pick that up? Well, it's got the things that I'm looking for prominently within their experience on, on their LinkedIn profile and, Right, they got my list of people to contact. So, you know, like your so, resume. So you you shouldn't just keep your one LinkedIn line that says "I work for uh, <laughs> <laughs> this com- for right. for company X," and that that's it. Just engineer company X. That's all. <laughs> yeah, that that's absolutely it. And uh, as Mike kind of alluded to as well, I'd turn this question probably back to you, Steve and Allison. Um, if you're looking for a person. Do you want someone that's stepping up into a role or do you want someone that can do the job that you need done? You know, for me, it's dependent on what I need. Like I know that before the job posting goes up, do I want someone that's more junior that I can develop to have a really specific approach or do I need someone that's going to step in and take charge? So that's kind of predetermined most of the time. Yeah. And... And how do you how do you communicate that? How do you communicate that through the job posting or, or or through your recruiter, whether it's your internal recruitment team, you know, saying to them, look, I want someone that can step up into this role, or, or, or how does that, you know, does the person working on your behalf to identify the candidates for you, do they really understand that 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 aspect of the job? Um, it's it's always a challenging one. Yeah, and like when you come into a company too, like uh, you know, depending on how the organization's set up, they might have like you have one role engineer, and that covers the junior, brand new EITs up to like eight years experience. And where if if you're applying to a job, where do you fit in there? Are you close to that, you know, that eight year range where you can expect a promotion? What's their succession planning like? And I think, like. You know, for for me, when I'm looking at something, it's, to be honest, bringing somebody in to develop them is a lot of effort. And I don't think many people want to do it. They want to bring somebody in that can fill the job that they have available, which is likely going to be a lateral move. But you need to, as the company, I think they need to sell the growth opportunities a lot more than they do and have proper succession planning that says, okay, you know what, you come in here at this role, here's kind of where you are within our organization succession planning, and, you know, if you meet these milestones, you can expect to move into the senior position, or, or whatever it might it might be. I think there's a big lack of succession planning out there in organizations. Big time. And, yeah. like, I've worked, I've worked for a few different places, and it's it's been... Like, where, what's my next step? It's I, I've got me, and then I've got my <laughs> my manager, and then there's the owner of the company. Like, when you're working, looking at really small companies, like it's very little growth opportunity. And so, yeah. how do you 
how do you actually help your t people grow and get those pay bumps and other benefit bumps without actually necessarily having the job change all that drastically and you know it's i i don't think there's a good answer for it at the moment but <laughs> yeah i don't like it that that's maybe taking us a little bit off topic really is how to companies provide the, the growth opportunities because that's one of the biggest things that people want people want the opportunity to grow like there's a there's a few key elements of, of building a high performing team and, and one of them is growth growth opportunities both professional growth opportunities for your team and and personal growth opportunities as well and that's you know maybe that's an area where some some smaller companies out there have do have opportunities is is to provide personal growth opportunities for their staff or for, for their engineering, for their engineers, you know, is it, is it about, um, getting a, uh, adding a skill set with the designation or, or, you know, is it, is it about learning a new area, which is going to benefit the organization, but benefits the person as well. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess slightly going off topic, but, yeah. no, that's, but that's, that's what good. a lot it's of people a, it's are a great looking point. for. Well, and, you know, I think, it is important too because you know so often we treat it like an interview is just the company interviewing the person and less so about the inter the person interviewing the company and i think it's really important for the people to think critically about what they want come up with good questions and i've had like i i've been in an interview i've been offered a job that seemed great but i wasn't happy with the answers i got or the what one of the questions asked in the interview and it was hard for me to turn down that job because, but I was like, what is this a sign of? And so it's like, there are deal breakers on, on both sides. And I think we forget that, especially people interviewing is the expectation that, you know, we hold all the power, I guess. And it's not less more about that, that conversation. Absolutely. Like it has to be a fit on both sides, but the, the biggest thing is what is the proper fit? So you have to kind of tell yourself that at the same time. Am, am I looking for more money or am I looking for a great environment? Also, um, it's it, it's about the the fit and everyone tells us that, you know, if uh, even when we're asking for feedback, you know, a lot of the times it'll be, uh, you know, it just didn't feel right. Didn't have it, you know, and, and it's hard to kind of go back and, and give feedback to the candidate. Like, oh, I just didn't like you. Um, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's one of those things where at the same time, you know, you have to look at the employer, you have to look at who your manager is and who are you going to be reporting to? Do you like them? Do you want to work with them? So absolutely come in with questions and, and uh, you know, sometimes maybe poke the bear a little bit there too, and, and get some, get some proper, uh, dialogue going, you know, in that interview. My uh, my favorite one question answer because you you also don't want to ask too many questions right there's correct no, but uh, my favorite one question to ask when I'm when I'm interviewing uh, depending on which side I'm on is either who is your favorite employee or who is your favorite supervisor and why so it tells you a lot about what their management style or you know the opposite what their employment style is like. And so that's, that's my, that's my one favorite question to just kind of sum up the whole thing. What are you looking for an employee? Uh, you know, the guy that's here, he's here till seven every night. And he never complains about it. I don't want that to be your favorite employee. <laughs> it's not going to be that person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And and when when you ask it the way the way you ask it, you know, who's your favorite employee or who's your favorite manager? Um, that removes the the um the, the the imagination part of it. Like they can't make up this fictitious character. Um, they've got to actually talk about a real life person and why that person is their favorite. And and it, that tells you so much about them as a person, about how they like to work or how they like to be managed, and and the types of things that they that they value in what they do. It's that's such a good question rather than saying, oh, describe the perfect person, like they can just make anyone up and and they're probably just going to make up the person that they think you might want to hear about as well. Um, yeah, and and when when you're in an interview, if someone asks you a, a question to describe something in real life, a real life situation, a real life person, whatever, you've got to answer that question with a real life scenario and be able to explain it because as an interviewer when when you ask a question like that and you you can tell when someone's just making it up and and you know that that person's making it up you're thinking why why are you just why aren't you telling me the truth that's a massive when we go back to red flags that's a huge one you know i asked you a real life question tell me a real life answer yeah yeah, and I love that question. I asked, I asked a very similar one, and it was funny. The last one I had, I, um, it was we were interviewing for a new a new engineer, and um, I asked what kind of supervisor style you want, and he he said something along those. He said like, hey, you know, I really want to, you know, I've had hands on supervisors. I've really liked that, and I'm like, well, you're you're not a co op student anymore. Like, you're not gonna get that anymore. You got to be prepared and. So we had a good conversation around that, and it it, it work, worked out really well. But it's it's always interesting, and it's a great place to start that conversation because if your styles don't match, it doesn't mean he's not necessarily a good fit. They're not necessarily a good fit. Um, and so, you know, one of the other red flags that I've heard, and I've experienced this myself as well, is um, right now, particularly in Alberta, there's a lot of people that have lost their jobs. And it's really hard in an interview to talk about why there's a gap or something in your resume or what has led you to lose a job. And, you know, those questions do come up. How do you respond to that? Like, sometimes you just weren't good at that job, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be bad at the next job, right? So um, what are your guys' thoughts on how to manage that? Um, Brutal honesty. Yeah. (laughs) We all know what's been happening across the industry. Okay, I've only got six and a half years of history of of knowing what's going on across the industry in Alberta, but um, you know, it, we're not. No one's in a bubble. We we know what's happening. We know where people have been laid off. We know what what happens with projects. We've all got friends across across the industry, and and you know, if the job didn't work out because it wasn't the right fit for you say it didn't work out because it wasn't the right fit for me yeah i didn't enjoy it for these reasons maybe i shouldn't have taken the job in the first place so i left or you know i wasn't the right person for the company they probably shouldn't have hired me my skill set wasn't the right match or the project 
uh, got cancelled and so we all got laid off. We will know if that project's been cancelled. You know, if you tell me that the project, oh yeah, everyone got laid off and yeah, they were doing rounds of layoffs and you know, it was a really tough time and it's just like, hang on a second, that project didn't finish till, you know, five months after you said you got laid off and no one else was getting laid off at that time. So something's going on here. You know, tell us the truth. That's, don't, don't, again, don't tell us what you think we might want to hear because you have no idea what an interviewer wants to hear. You've just got to be honest. I think from that perspective too, you know, if, if you do have, you know, a gap, you know, uh, in your career, you know, almost just highlight that on your resume at the same time. You know, if you've got a, a three, six, one year gap, just highlight it on the resume. So there's no questions, you know, if it's on your resume and you say, you know, from point A to point B, I was job searching or, you know, something happened personally that I needed to take time for myself, literally just highlight that. Um, at the same time, because, you know, it's, it's out there, it's open, it's honest. And, uh, you know, when you do, if you do land the interview there at the same time, then your time with that hiring manager, that decision maker isn't going to be spent on why do you, what happened during this time? It's going to be spent more time on, you know, your skill sets instead of just like, you know, what happened during that time frame. It's already there. So they already know. So they don't have to worry about it. So I always say, you know, highlight it on your resume. Yeah, especially right now, like the last year and a half, lots of people have gaps in their resume. It's, you know, it's, it's looks like it's very normal right now. Um, and people will go to great lengths to hide it in the way that they form up their resume. But when it looks like they're trying to hide it, I'm going into that. If even if you get yep. past that, it, that place and we're doing a phone screen, I'm going in suspicious and I'm looking for answers rather than trying to understand you as a person. So yeah, great advice. Do not hide it. Just explain it. And I, you're going to, you're going to start off on a much better foot. But totally. And, and, you know, and, and, and when it comes to re, uh, preparing your resume properly, um, put months that you started and finished jobs. Yeah. You know, don't put, oh yeah, 2018 to 2019, I worked at this place. Okay, well, so did you start in January of 2018, finish in December of 2019, start in December 2018, finish in January 2019? Where, where I, all that, all that results in is the interviewer, if you get to an interview, having to spend so much time. Okay, so when did you actually start that job? All right, well, you know, it, it just, were you there two years or were you there two months? Yeah, or, covering up gaps in their resume where people will you know put this month and then they start the next month and then once you're in the interview all of a sudden you found out that there was a four month gap in between those so the dates are wrong so right well why did you put this date on your resume but then now you're telling me that you finished there at this date what's going on and you know yeah, your resume is absolutely a piece of sales or marketing collateral for you as a person wanting to get the job that you want to get. But the most important thing in any type of marketing, advertising, sales is being honest and telling the truth because people don't want to buy something that ends up not working, uh, whether that's the person that they're employing or, or, or whatever. 
you know. So you've got to be super honest with, with everything that you do. Don't hide the bad. Just be honest about it and address it. And, and people, all hiring managers have experienced bad stuff in their career as well. So we're all people, you know. It's it's just be honest about stuff and, and you get so much further. Absolutely. And what's the risk of not being honest? And, and like you think about it and if you're not honest, and like you said, we're all people, we've all been there, we've all had rough spots. And if you go into an interview and you either are not up front or, or flat out lie about a gap, what, you know, first of all, what's that, what's going to happen if, you know, they find out about what actually happened during that gap, how long it actually was. And if they're going to care about that, is that really the place you want to work? Is that the supervisor and manager you want? Is somebody that's going to be upset that you took six months to find a job or your other job didn't work out? Like, you, it's probably not going to be a good fit if if they don't appreciate if they don't appreciate that there's a person behind the resume, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, even when it's something you know, if someone had take three months off because um, they were burnt out. You know, they'd been working long hours, doing this, doing that, and they were were just totally cooked and they took three months off to get their mental health sorted out before applying for or looking for another job. You know, that that's you gotta be honest about that stuff and you know, because that that's important. It's really important and, and mental health in in uh Certainly in, in industry is a big thing. It's something that's not talked about enough and, um, you know, it has big impacts on people's lives. So it's, it's part of the conversation around normalizing that. Again, slightly off track. I tend to go off track a bit, but, um, <laughs> no, it's important. You know, be honest about this stuff. It's, I think there's a quote. I think it was Oscar Wilde said, you know, always tell the truth because then you never have to remember a thing. And if you've lied when you've written your resume because you've fudged the dates, then you've got to try and remember all this stuff. How stressful is that? And you probably don't get the job. The one thing I was going to recommend, you know, when you are kind of, you know, dealing with your resume, um, you know, look, look at yourself just like, you know, an employer. Like there's always performance reviews, you know, on an annual or, you know, um, a semi-annual basis. Do that for yourself. Um, you know, set some time aside for yourself and literally, you know, take 15, half hour or an hour, wherever you want. Um, you know, maybe every six months and go into your resume and just update it. Just, you know, make sure that it's updated with, with what you're doing and because you never know what's going to happen. You know, it, it's like I said, you're, it's your life. It's your career on paper. And if you're keeping it updated, then you don't, have to necessarily remember what's kind of going on you know if all of a sudden if you're out of work and you haven't updated your resume for you know six years you know 10 years then you got to remember everything that you've done whereas if you just kind of take that time for yourself you know maybe once a year or twice a year and update it as you go through um it's probably just a good habit and again what are you trying to put onto your your resume at the same time uh, look back at what you've done. You know, have you been a part of a major project where, you know, 
you know, equipment A, your equipment reliability, availability went from X percentage to, you know, Y percentage. You know, make sure that you're using concrete examples with what you've done over the past year. Was the how much was the project that you were a part of, and how did you, you know, work w- within that project at the same time? Take some time to yourself and just keep it updated. Yeah, and, and I think, and I think it's okay to take a step further too. It's a, it's okay to look at jobs that are out there. It's not betraying your company. It's not doing anything like that. It's understanding what you're worth. And so if you've been in the field for 30 years and you've never updated your resume, you have no idea if you're being paid correctly, if what other jobs are are out there and what other benefits there might be. And if you go and send that resume out, you do an interview and you choose to stay where you're at, then it is a conscious choice that you're staying where you are or you're moving on and you're in control of your own life. I don't want to get too much into the psychology of, of it all, but it's it's so many people sit there and complain day after day about their job that they're in. And, you know, we've had a few episodes where we're like, if you're at that stage, it's time to just quit because you're not helping anybody. And like, it, so if you're sitting there complaining about it, do you know what you're worth? Do you know what else is out there? Um, and if you go through that exercise, you're going to be in a better better space yourself. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Sorry, I don't want to go on too much of a rant there. Just a little bit. <laughs> Please uh, do. Because something you said there is something that I, I hear a lot from people of, of, you know, they feel bad looking at other postings because of the company that they work for now. But just like an interview is a two-way street, so is an employment. If you're not getting what you need out of your employer, like a bad relationship, <laughs> you know, you, you owe that company your paycheck and, and the work that you're providing. But if they're not giving you back what you need to succeed in your career, you you don't owe them any more than that. Yeah, so, <laughs> and so on, true. And on the succession planning piece that we talked about earlier, like if they're hiring people for jobs that you think you're qualified for. They don't see your worth. Yeah, exactly, Mike. So anyways. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I completely agree. You know, you've got to, you've got to own your career. If you, like, no one is going to, no one's going to manage your career for you. It's gone are the days where you joined a company, you know, straight out of school, you went into a trade, became a technician, or you went to college and became an engineer, then became an EIT, and you stayed with a company 30, 40 years, and the company mapped out the career for you, and then, and, you know, until you retired, that, that's, those days are, are long gone, you know. Companies are moving faster, industries are moving faster, careers are moving faster. Um, you've always got to be owning your career and and your progression and where you want to go and um, the opportunities that might that might create for you. Um, you know, whether it's within your industry, whether it's across industries. Look at what training is your company offering you. Um, what training could another company offer you? What development courses are available? Um, particularly relevant, I think, for, for people in Alberta within, within maintenance and reliability and, and particularly in the oil industry. Um, you know, there's been so much upheaval in the time that I've been here that, um, a lot of people are, uh, they don't know what to do. 
they don't know where to go. They're not necessarily confident in, in things. And, and how do you make yourself more employable? Broaden your skill set. Don't just look at what's essential for your job in, in terms of, of, um, being a, a reliability engineer necessarily, but, you know, what are your skills like? What are your soft skills like? Um, your communication, your management, your leadership skills. Um, how can you embrace technology that's, that's coming through? You know, leveraging, leveraging opportunities around new technologies coming into industry, whether that's, um, you know, CMMS, which was a while ago, a lot of people, it took some people a while to embrace that. And, and some people, yeah, I remember interviewing people and they, they weren't particularly good at using different CMMS programs. And, um, that, that hampered their ability to progress their career. So you've got to own your career. You've got to make sure you're always up to date with what's going on in your industry. And like you say, Alison, if your job's not giving you what you need, um, in, as in any relationship, get out of there. Find a place that will give you what you need. Yeah, that's great advice. And I wish um, we had more time because there's so much we didn't discuss that it was on my <laughs> list to hit. So uh, definitely going to schedule a part two for this in a little while with the with this same group. Um, and again, we have the um, the Q&A. So please submit your questions to there and uh, we'll, we'll get some answers. And that'll be live and we'll release that as a bonus episode if you can't make the time. Uh, but before we close out, I do want to give everybody the opportunity to give a bit of a plug for anything that they have upcoming or anything they, they want to give a shout out for. So I'll, I'll start with you, Allison. Nope, nothing coming up for me. But uh, if you're looking to follow me and see what I am up to, LinkedIn is always the best place. Great. Uh, and Mike? Uh, no, hey, uh always happy to talk with anyone in the industry and uh for ourselves you know carl and myself um we just started our firm kpo search and staffing partners uh you can find us at kpostaffing.com and we are both on linkedin there at the same time so reach out connect and we're always happy to chat yeah perfect and uh carl yeah no thanks mike i think i think you pretty much pretty much covered it um yeah, find find us on LinkedIn. You can see what we're up to, and and um, yeah, look forward to speaking again in the future. It's good conversation. Um, we could probably spend days on, on this topic. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely want to revisit this one. I, I I love this conversation. I have so much more to ask. Um, so thank you everybody for your time. I'll put all those uh, links into the podcast description. So if you want to find them, or you can always get in touch with touch with me at maintenance w or oh maintenance disrupted at gmail.com um and thanks everybody for listening